The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Lord Jesus, um, we thank you that you are I am. There's nothing um, in our lives uh, that is perplexing to you. Much is perplexing to us. There's nothing in our lives that's bigger than you. Much is bigger than us. Lord, there's, there's nothing, nothing that you have not overcome. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And so, Lord, now as we open your word um, and come before you, we ask for your understanding. Because without it, we're nothing. Without it, we are foolish. So, Lord, we ask for your wisdom and your understanding and your clarity. And, Lord, you'd speak to us now. Have your way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, this past week, uh, we were in Louisiana with some of the students, and uh, we had a great week there uh, serving a church down um, as, literally as far as you can go into Louisiana before you hit ocean, and we had a, a great time down there. Um, the mosquitoes are a little bit different in Louisiana. Like normally, like during the day in Tennessee, mosquitoes are like, ah, we'll take it easy, Real quick. not Louisiana, right? And they were pretty big. I saw one of our kids just get lifted up and carried off, but the mosquito brought him back. Um, but he was a little, he needed a transfusion, but we made it work, all right? This morning, our sermon is entitled Speak, okay? And so you should have your little uh, notes there that you can follow along, and we're going to look at an incident in the lives of Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. Would you turn to Acts chapter 3 first? We're going to work our way up to Acts chapter 4. So if you don't have a Bible, you can uh, grab the little Bibles under the seats, those little white Bibles. You can turn to Acts chapter 3. There should be a a table of contents in the front. Uh, You can follow along there. If you don't have a Bible, take that with you, all right? That's our gift to you. Or if your Bible at home is um, written, literally was written by King James himself, you can take that with you as well. Uh, And so you can follow along also on your smartphones if you have a smartphone. Um, If you have a dumb phone, well, it's 2013. What's wrong with you, okay? So turn to chapter 3 first. Now you need the context. Remember we talked about the context is the message. You need the context of what we're about to jump into. The church is brand new at this point in Acts. Literally, the story of Acts is the story of the church starting. And so uh, Acts chapter 1 starts with the ascension of Jesus. So he sends out his disciples. All right, you guys are now the church. The Holy Spirit comes down on them at Pentecost and boom, we have a church. And so uh, the church has begun and up until Acts chapter uh, 4, it was really like a honeymoon. Like they really hadn't faced a lot of persecution or anything like that. And and they're in Jerusalem still and and they're mainly reaching out to uh, the Jewish population because that's who they are. That's who they know. So they're spending a lot of time in the temple um, uh, and and really trying to reach um, the Jewish people there. And so in Acts chapter 3, we see that uh, uh, John and Peter, uh, forgive me if I say James. Every time I talked to Angela about the sermon, I kept saying Peter and James. And she was like, when did he get there? So uh, Peter and John, uh, they are going to the temple for the hour of prayer. Again, spending a lot of time at the temple, spending time uh, uh, in prayer at the temple. And what happens is as soon as they walk up, there's a man there who's lame from birth. I don't mean that he's uncool. I mean he can't walk, all right? So he's lame from birth, and he's sitting there, and he's begging. 
He's like, please give me anything you, you, you got, all right? He can't work. He can't support himself. And so we pick up there. Uh, literally, Peter looks right at the guy, and he says, you look at me. And look at verse 6. Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. So this guy does exactly what you would probably do in that situation. He jumped up. He's going crazy, right? Uh, they go into the temple. They're like, okay, cool. See you later, dude. So he go, they go into the temple, and he stays right with them. Wouldn't you? You've been lame for 40 years. You've never been able to walk. This guy comes along and, and raises you up to walk. Like, I'd probably follow him around, too. So he's jumping around, clicking his heels, just doing everything he can. He's super excited, follows him into the temple, um, and, and then he follows Peter and John around into Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch, this area. If you walk into the temple off to the right and, uh, and look at verse 11, let's pick up there. While he clung to Peter and John, again, wouldn't you, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. So, so Peter sees that all these people got together. He didn't say, hey, everybody, come here. Come here, I got something to tell you. No, he just sees them gathered together, and he begins to speak to them about the good news of Jesus. He says that it's faith in Jesus' name that made this man strong. He says that all the prophets before you that you're listening to, that, that some of you are even studying, they're all pointing to Jesus, leading up to Jesus, who was crucified and resurrected. Look at verse 26. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. All right, so we're going to pick up now. We're at we're at Acts chapter 4. You're caught up, all right? We're going to pick up at Acts chapter 4. We're going to walk through Acts chapter 4 together, uh, and then we're going to kind of go back. I'm, I'm going to give you the intro to my sermon halfway through the sermon. Are you cool with that? So we're going to walk through Acts chapter 4. You ready? Look at verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So these are powerful people, right? The captain is literally the second rank to the high priest, okay? So these are powerful people, and these people had a direct hand in the crucifixion of Jesus, okay? So these are, these are incredibly powerful people who have done an incredibly evil thing, right, uh, again. Against the Lord Jesus himself. They had a hand in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus himself. Literally, Jesus, when he was arrested, stood before these people who are approaching them now. And they're upset about the resurrection of the dead. One, because they don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And two, uh, they fully supported and, and, and were even complicit in the death of Jesus. And so them preaching him resurrected is completely against their authority, completely showing to the people, you were wrong and, and this is right. And so so like, obviously they're like, we got we to gotta stop these guys. So look at verse 3. They arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So just in a matter of hours, the Lord took these ordinary guys and, and he spoke through them and 5,000 uh, people were converted to Jesus, were brought from death to life. The enemy wanted them silenced. The enemy wanted them locked up and eventually they were, but the word was already out and God was already working through the word. Look at verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priest priestly family. So these, again, are incredibly powerful men, the people that, that Jesus would have faced down himself on the night he was arrested. Verse 7, 
When they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Which is interesting because what they're saying is not, uh, what kind of trickery are you pulling here? No, they're saying, look, we can't deny that you did this. We can't deny that this guy who didn't walk for 40 years is now walking. So they can't deny their actions, but they're saying, who gets the credit? Who are you doing this for? In whose name are you doing this? Look at verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit... That's, that's important, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Look at verse 8. Why reiterate Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit? Doesn't he already have it? Wasn't Peter at Pentecost? Like, doesn't he already have the Holy Spirit in him? I think it's, it's, it's showing this because this testimony he's giving, the words he's speaking, is not from his power. It's not from his human understanding. This is an act of God. This is the Holy Spirit working through him. And he gives the risen Jesus complete credit for everything that's happening here. In verse 11, Then Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So he makes a reference to the messianic prophecy in Psalm 118, 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Then he makes a bold and clear statement about salvation. He saying there's no salvation in anyone else other than Jesus. And so there's no pluralism. There's no inclusivism. Hey, what you want to believe is fine. Well, it'll all work out. Just clear truth. And it's also a clear invitation to the Sanhedrin. He's not making an argument so that they can say, wow, it's a really good argument. He's saying, look, there's no other name uh, which you must be saved, all right? So, so it's an invitation to you guys. Listen, everything you're doing, that's whatever. Like, that's great, whatever. But listen, if you really want to be saved, it's about Jesus. So it's an invitation to them. In verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So they spoke with boldness and confidence, even though they were uneducated, even though they were common. Uneducated, meaning they didn't have the schooling or the training to be standing there arguing and debating with these incredibly trained and educated men. And they were common. They didn't have the pedigree to be standing up there so boldly speaking to the high priest himself. And they were astonished. It'd be the equivalent of, of, you know, like uh, your, your car breaks down and, and just as you pop the hood and there's smoke coming out, uh, your six-year-old walks up and goes, yep, looks like you need to put water in the radiator, Dad, right? Like that wouldn't, like, what are you, t- are you kidding me? How do you know that, right? That would be incredible. And so in the same way, they were astonished. And, and I love this in verse 13. If you want to underline it, great. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. How did they do this? I, I like to think that probably they remembered being astonished before. They remember something incredible about their words and they remember this feeling when Jesus stood before them, you know, when they heard Jesus for the first time. And that was that that jogged their memory and they said, oh, these guys sound a lot like Jesus. And then maybe they thought, oh yeah, we did see them with Jesus. We did see them following Jesus. And what I love about this verse is that the Holy Spirit's work in them was so effective that it impacted these men so much. It impacted them as much as if Jesus himself had been standing there speaking to them. Isn't that incredible? These common, uneducated, ordinary men, the Holy Spirit worked so powerfully through them 
that literally they had so much of effect, it would have been the, the equivalent of Jesus standing before them speaking. It's phenomenal. Look at verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. When they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them as evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. So it didn't matter how much they disbelieved their words or even hated what they had to say. They couldn't deny what they had done. They couldn't deny what God had done through them. Verse 17. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they ordered them not to speak. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and what we've heard. They're saying, look, this might upset you, this might offend you, but listen, God wants us to speak. And what we've experienced, what we've seen, what we continue to experience, it's too real, it's too important, it's all I think about, it's all that matters. I can't help it. I can't help but speak. And so, I don't know, you, you can judge me however you want, but I can't help it. Remember, the people they're talking to are the people who killed Jesus. But they're confident and bold because they know the God who raised Jesus, right? So they're standing there and they're saying, I know you're telling me not to, but listen, I've got to listen to God. And, and this is just too important. I can't keep my mouth shut. Verse 21, when they had further threatened them, they let them go. Finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. They couldn't punish them for the risk of what the people would do. Because the people were super excited about this. Can't believe what just happened. So they couldn't punish them, so they let him go. Verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said. So their response in this great victory is to pray. And this is incredibly significant because it reveals that they have a constant desperation for Jesus. That even in victories like this, it's not about them. They're not going to sit back and rest on their laurels, right? Because it's not about them. It's not their victory. It's God's victory. And so they continually have this desperation of leaning into God. We all lean into God in difficult times. But in this great victory, they leaned into God all the more, recognizing the source of this victory, right? Verse 24, listen to their prayer. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever, listen, to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. Praise God for his sovereignty. Continuing, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they immediately acknowledge, acknowledge his sovereignty and power even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of what, what we would say is the greatest tragedy that the Son of God would die. They recognize, look, this is God's sovereign hand guiding all of this. And their prayer here is not to stop the threats. He says, remember your servants under these threats. Look upon these threats. And, and the, the prayer is not stop these threats, protect us, make us all right, like set us over here and so, so we can be comfortable. What's their prayer? 
Their prayer is, look, continue to give us boldness to speak while you keep doing great things. So give us boldness. When you're doing miracles and wonderful things and we're celebrating, give us boldness to speak about you. And when we're being threatened and there's difficulties and we're arrested and all kinds of things happen to us, continue to give us boldness to speak. Their request was not in, in the midst of, of all these things, would, would, you, would you just make everything better or would you just make everything more comfortable? Here was their prayer. In the good times, in the best times, and in the worst times, give us boldness to speak. Give us more and more boldness to speak. In verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and, con- and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The Holy Spirit honored their prayer and blessed them with boldness to speak the word of God. What a great account of Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. There's so much here and there's so many things I'm sure the Lord's already shown you as we've walked through Acts chapter 4. But let me explain why I believe the Lord's led us here today. Our world is desperate for truth. And there's a lot of people speaking and claiming truth. I don't know if you are familiar with um, TED Talks, but TED Talks are uh, technology, entertainment, and design is what they um, stand for. And uh, it's a global set of conferences owned by a, a nonprofit organization under the slogan, Ideas Worth Spreading. And so there are people speaking, and TED Talks are incredibly uh, popular. Um, you can download the, the iOS app on your iPhone, your iPad, or whatever. Some of them are phenomenal. Um, then there are others. And, and so here's just the title of some of them. Religion, Evolution, and the Ecstasy of Self-Transcendence. Or Let's Teach Religion, All Religion in Schools. And another one, Atheism 2.0. So there's a lot of people speaking and claiming truth. Musicians are speaking and teaching through their songs. There's a song out there by um, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis called Same Love. Listen to this. For those that like the same sex had the characteristics. The right-wing conservatives think it's a decision and you can be cured with some treatment and religion. Man-made rewiring of a predisposition playing God. Ah, nah, here we go, America the brave still fears what we don't know. And God loves all his children is somehow forgotten. But we paraphrase a book written 3,500 years ago. So people are speaking and teaching and claiming truth, whether it's in TED Talks or in these musicians. And just the other day, I was having a conversation with a guy um, who casually was explaining his life through astrology. Uh, He was talking about some, he said, you know, I'm really unhappy with where I am in life, but what are you going to do? I'm a Capricorn. And I was like, I don't know what that means, right? Like, just, what am I going to do? I'm a Capricorn. Like, is that, is that a real thing? You're really saying that right now? Like, that's your explanation? You make bad decisions, right? That's why you're unhappy, right? Like you're making bad, what are you going to do? I'm a Capricorn. And so there's so many people who are speaking. Our world's desperate for truth, but our world speaks lies. And remember, lies aren't just the opposite of truth. Those are easy to, those are easy to figure out, okay? Those, those aren't, those aren't going to trick us very well. Successful lies are those that masquerade as truth. For example, our world says, the truth is, love is acceptance, uh, right? Love doesn't insist on its own way. The lie is, love is endorsement, right? Whatever you want to do is cool with me. That's not acceptance, that's endorsement. They're very close, but one's true and one's a lie. The truth is God is personal. He's intimately personal. Isaiah 41, he holds our right hand. He's wonderfully personal. The lie is, and our world teaches, is God is personally different. 
Wherever you are, it's, it's relative to you. It's a personal understanding of God. One is true and one is a lie. So our world's constantly searching for truth. And so many people are speaking. So many people are claiming truth. And all the while, too often, we are silent. Believers are silent. Which is crazy because in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I'm the truth. How, how ridiculous, how hateful is it of us to keep our mouths closed? Would we have the truth? So I started to ask myself and, and others in the Lord, why don't we speak? I started to ask people and, and had a conversation with my wife, why, why don't you speak up? Why don't I speak up? And we started to explore this idea and, and why do we keep truth from, to ourselves when we're around our families or with our coworkers or with our neighbors or just in our sphere of influence? Why, why don't we speak and Here's what I want to do using our remaining time together. I want to use Peter and John's example that we just looked at. I want to look, use their example before the Sanhedrin. And I want us to confront our barriers. Confront the barriers that keep us from speaking truth. And, and hopefully through their example and, and the Lord's guidance, we're going to see how to overcome those barriers today. The first barrier is the fear of man. Everybody wants to be liked. There's not a single person in here who wakes up in the morning and goes, how many people can I get to hate me today? No one does that, right? In Facebook, uh, on, on Facebook, I downloaded this app that goes into my Facebook account, and it's called um, Unfriends. And what it does is it, it scans my friends list, and, and, it, and it makes note of any differences. So if someone has defriended me, it'll tell me they've defriended me. Now, I don't know why I got this, but I thought this would be interesting. Because at this point, like, I got Facebook... Um, I don't know, 10, 10 years ago, something like that, close to 10 years ago, right when it first came out. And so there's a lot of people on there that I don't know who they are, all right? Like, they might as well just be random, like, mugshot someone put on there. And so, like, people, I defriend people all the time, whatever. Well, I put that on there, and then I, when I get the little alert, and I click on it, and I'm like, oh, so-and-so unfriended me, I immediately go, why? Why did that happen? Right? Like, was it something I said? And, like, part of me wants to, like, message them, like, no, you're really cool, and we can be friends. You want to go hang out? Right? Like, it's just, I, I don't know. And then some, most of the time when that happens, after I freak out for a while, I go, oh, yeah, I did that. I defriended them. Right? And so, like, like it just kind of makes me crazy. Everyone wants to be liked. But then Jesus said in Luke 21, 17, everyone will hate you because of me. The message of Jesus won't make you popular in this world. First Corinthians says, we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Some will believe it's nonsense and some will be offended by it. So the truth you speak could steal your popularity, offend someone, and make you look foolish to others. The fear of man is, is a very real thing and a, and a huge barrier that keeps us silent. How do we overcome this? Look at Peter and John. If anyone should have been afraid, it should have been these guys. They had just been thrown in jail at these guys' requests. And these are the same guys that literally had a hand in putting Jesus to death. If there's anyone that they should be afraid of, it should be them. And if anyone should stand there and be afraid, it should be Peter and John. How, how are they not afraid? I, I think this. Let's look at their, their example. Number one, they daily remembered that God holds the real power. Look at verse 12. And there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. They're thinking, what can you guys do to us? Remember, you, you put Jesus to death, but God raised him up. What you got? What's next? 
They recognize that the power is truly with God. And they remember what Jesus said, Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And that's why they said to them later, look, you be the judge, but we're going to serve God. We're going to listen to God. So they remembered that God holds real power. The second thing, they daily remembered that God holds the real reward. They remember the words of Jesus in Mark 13, 13. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So they remember that God holds the real power. He's the one we serve. He's the one we fear. And they daily remember that God holds the real reward. Okay, let's say we say yes. Let's say that, that we say, okay, we'll be silent. We'll be good. What are we going to get? What, what if they gave us this whole temple? Okay, we've got all the gold we can have. Who cares? What good is that in the end? And ultimately, it's those who endure to the end that will be saved. So God's got the real reward. His rewards are eternal. Yours, I don't like them. I don't like them in eternity. They're not going to make it, all right? So they recognize God holds the real power, and he holds the real reward. So where am I getting daily from? Well, they started their prayer in verse 24 by acknowledging his sovereignty over everything, all of creation and, all of, and, and, and even salvation. So this daily acknowledgement gave them a different perspective. They lived with a different perspective because of it. They remember the, the, the power of God gave them a different perspective before the Sanhedrin. They said, you know what? These guys are at the mercy of God. Because, because God has the power. So, so even though they look powerful, and this is scary, and I'm in chains, they're at the mercy of God. Their perspective was different than everyone else. Remembering the reward of God gave them a different perspective on the difficulty they faced. This is all I've got to go through. I've got these chains. I've got people yelling at me. They might put me to death and just send me to Jesus. Worth it, right? Their perspective is different. So daily acknowledge the sovereign power of God and gain a new perspective. And that perspective will serve your boldness. Speaking of the fear of man, I want you to remember this perspective from Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man paralyzes. The council was afraid that they lose their power. They're afraid of the people, right? And so they did nothing. So the fear of man paralyzes. It paralyzes them. It'll paralyze you. The fear of God empowers. Peter and John feared the Lord and what? They spoke boldly. So the fear of man's a snare. It's a trap. It paralyzes you. It steals you of your joy. The fear of God empowers you, right? So let's keep going. So don't be afraid. The second barrier, we feel common. Look at verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Common is another way of saying outsider, right? They didn't even belong in the conversation. It might have uh, uh, at some point one of the, the elders that was sitting up there in the Sanhedrin is going, why are we even talking to these guys? Why are we even listening to these guys? Go put them back in a hole somewhere and let me get on with my day. They didn't belong there and some of us might feel that about ourselves. Me? Tell someone about Jesus? That's, that's not my job. Look, God has, has someone else to do that. I'm a good behind the scenes person, okay? Like I just, I'm the person that, that picks up donut holes that fall on the ground in the lobby. That's that's the way I serve. Like, like Grant is the one who talks, okay? So he's the one who talks to people about Jesus. Me talk to someone? No. No, God's called other people to do that. The reality is God's called all of us to be the light of the world. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You're the light of the world. 
A city on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. They'll give glory to your Father because you will do what Peter and John did, which is to tell people, look, these good works that we're doing, these good works that you're noticing, this different life that I'm living, is because of Jesus. You will speak. You've been called to speak. How do we overcome this? How do we overcome this, this fear of, of just feeling uncommon or, or just common? Remember that he's called you, Matthew 5, and he's placed you. He sovereignly placed you in his sphere of influence to be the light of the world there. Did Peter and James that day set out and go, you know what? Let's go talk to the high priest and the Sanhedrin and we'll put them in their place. I've got my speaking points. It's all alliterated. They'll be able to follow it. It's going to be phenomenal. You got the PowerPoint? Awesome. What is that? I don't know. Let's keep going. And so, like, we're going to go in there. No. Why did they speak to the Sanhedrin? Why did they speak to these people? Because they were there. Because God had placed them there. They were faithfully doing what God had called them to do. And all of a sudden, they were there. And they were in front of the Sanhedrin. So they just did what God was leading them to do. Why did they speak to all of those people on the portico? What did it say? They clung to him. And when Peter noticed they were all together, Peter spoke. Why did he speak? Because they were together. He didn't go over and say, hey, everybody, come here. I got something to tell you. Come here, it's going to be really awesome. No, seriously, come over here. Do you see this guy? He's walking now. Come over here. I want to tell you something. No, he turned around, and they were there. So, so literally, God was expanding their sphere of influence, and what were they doing? They were just speaking. They were speaking wherever God gave them influence. And that, and that was it. And, and, Peter, uh, um, and, and so God wasn't surprised, by the way, that it was Peter and John speaking to the Sanhedrin. He didn't look down and go, oh, no. Oh no, I just sent Peter to the Sanhedrin. Are you serious? Of all the people, of all the people, I sent Peter. This, he's going to cut somebody. I know he is. He's done it before. He's going to do it again. This is crazy. Why did we do this? This is a bad idea. No. He was expanding their sphere of influence, right? And so all they were doing was being obedient. God isn't surprised that it's you that your family is listening to. He wants you to speak. He gave you that influence. God isn't surprised that it's you, that your Buddhist co-worker is asking about Jesus. God expanded your sphere of influence there. God isn't surprised that you live next to an atheist and, you want, and, and he wants to talk to you about what you believe and what he doesn't. Right? God isn't surprised. He's expanding your sphere of influence. He put you in that neighborhood. He put you in that job. He put you next to that stranger in Kroger. Remember that he's called you and he's placed you to speak. So don't be afraid. Fear God. Don't feel common or out of place. You've been placed. And the third barrier, we feel uneducated. Back to verse 13. They perceive they were uneducated, common men. I'll be honest. Of all these barriers, this is, this is probably number one for me. I feel inadequate. This is my hang-up. I always feel like I could know more. I could be more prepared, you know. Um, like, I'll give you an example. Uh, recently, I was at the doctor, I don't know, a month ago or so, and he made a comment about me being uh, dehydrated. I don't drink enough water. And so I knew I was going to have to go back to see him in less than a week. And so I drank, like, nothing but water, which is not me at all. But I drank, like, nothing but water. And then, like, everything I ate, I was like, what, how many glass of water will I have to do to offset this and make sure that I'm fully hydrated, right? No beef jerky. Just, I just need hydration, right? 
And so literally, like, we get there, uh, and, and I still don't feel like I've, I've drank enough water, right? And so before I'm, I'm seeing the doctor, I'm just downing, like, a bottle of water. And then I have to go back and give a urine sample, which was the easiest urine sample I've ever given. And afterwards, like, she's getting it confused with the other water they have there, right? It's just whatever. I'm still, like, drinking water while he's talking to me, right? I, I never feel like I'm prepared enough. And, and I especially feel this way even when it comes to talking about Jesus. I heard one time um, John Piper, is a pastor in Bethlehem Baptist, leader of Desiring God, um, uh, Desiring God Ministries, um, just, like, the the apostle Paul now, like he's just, he's an incredible guy, loves the Lord. Um, the Lord's done so much to that guy. And so I heard him one time talking on a podcast about this. He said, you dropped me. And he's this little, little dude. He's a little, just like, Hey. And so anyway, he said, you dropped me in the middle of, of the ghetto and just like put thugs all around me. He said, I'll talk to anybody about Jesus. I'll walk right up to him and tell him about Jesus. He said, you dropped me in, in like at a bus stop with somebody who's really well-dressed and looks like, you know, a professional or a lawyer or something, he says, I've become nervous. I'm the, I'm, I'm the exact same way. Anyone else like this? Anyone else going to admit to that? No? Okay, good. I feel alone. So anyway, like, I, I'm the exact same way. How do we overcome this barrier? I, I think there's a few ways. One, you can be prepared. First Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter, when he was defending Jesus, what did he say? He quoted Psalm 118. He knew that scripture. He was prepared. He had that memorized. He worshipped him with his mind. So, so do the same. Eat up the word of God. Read it. Memorize it. Right? Listen to it. You, you drive, to, church, you drive uh, to work. You open your version app on your phone. The little Bible app we use. It, it has audio. Listen to it. Just eat up the word of God. Memorize it. Use the Fighter Versus app. Or, or download an app. I like to call it. it it's, used, uh, it's, called, <laughs> it's called Bible Minded. Use that. Um, but, but be prepared. The second thing. Trust his ability. Luke 12, 11 through 12. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Look back at, at verse 8, chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, what? Filled with the Holy Spirit said to them. It doesn't say Peter in all of his uh, intelligence. No, it says Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Speak to them. Trust his ability. He's not surprised that you're there, and he's not surprised you're about to open your mouth. He'll be there. And lastly, remember that you aren't called to win arguments, but to be obedient. Verse 18 through 20. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak of what we've, but of what we've seen and heard. They're saying, look, look, we, whether it's right or wrong to listen to you or God, I don't know. But look, we're just going to follow God. We're just saying what we know. We're just being obedient to what we, I'm just going to tell you what I know. I'm not going to tell you what I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what I've heard. I'm just going to tell you what I know, right? So they're just being obedient. Their education didn't make them useful to God. Their faithfulness is what made them useful to God. I remember a story from a book called Unexpected Journey. Um, about this man, he was a, a Jewish man, and um, 
he just completely did not believe in God at all anymore, but he was very highly trained and went to speak to a young pastor, Christian pastor, and he's just schooling him on the Old Testament, just ripping, ripping him apart with the Old Testament. Um, and the young pastor, just, he's just getting his tail kicked, right? And he's just sitting there, I don't know what else to say. And, and just out of desperation, he just says, don't you know that God loves you? And that was it. The Holy Spirit broke through. What an incredible argument, right? Wow, you really showed him, right, with your education. He's just faithful. He just said what he knew, and God did something incredible. God added 5,000 people to, to the faith that day. Why? Because they believed, which is a work of the Holy Spirit, not a clever argument. It wasn't because they were persuaded. It was because they believed. The Holy Spirit did the rest. They were just faithful. So don't be afraid. Fear God. Don't feel common or out of place. You've been in place. Don't think your education is what makes you useful to God. It's your simple obedience. The fourth barrier, our actions don't line up with our words. Our actions are powerful. And they absolutely can overpower our words. My son is three, and he's to the, um, the, the lying age, the deception age. And um, so he can say all day long, I did not eat that cookie. But the chocolate around his mouth betrays him, right? Like he can say that, you know, he can say that he didn't uh, uh, do something wrong. But the fact that he's hiding behind uh, the kitchen table uh, betrays him, right? Our actions speak a lot louder than our words. You can say all day long to your wife that she's beautiful. But when you buy her a gym membership on her birthday, that speaks a little bit louder than your words, right? We also have do divorce care here, all right? So actions speak louder than words. Look at verse 14. But seeing the man who is healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. The council couldn't argue with what was done. So they couldn't argue with them. Maybe you don't speak about Jesus because your actions would overpower your words. Maybe to speak about Jesus at work would just make you appear hypocritical. Or maybe in your home or in your neighborhood. So how do we overcome this? Number one, reconcile with others. Seek forgiveness from other people. How, how incredible, what a wonderful illustration it is to, to, to illustrate to being dependent on God's mercy when you go ask for mercy from someone. Isn't that an incredible picture of the gospel? Give forgiveness. Is there a better way to illustrate the gospel of God than to forgive someone else? Matthew 6, 14, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. I think a lot of the time we write off our influence on other people as, as just lost because you know what? We're not perfect. And, and man, I just hope God comes along, sends someone else along to, to, to minister to them because I blew it, right? I'm not, I'm just, I haven't been a good example but, but I, I think us going to other people and just saying, to them, look, I'm messed up. I'm not perfect. I need the grace of God. and I need your grace. I need you to forgive me now, right? This is how I live my life. I'm, it's not, I'm not a Christian because of how great I am. I'm a Christian because of how great God is. This admission of a need for grace is at the core of the gospel. By admitting our shortcomings and seeking reconciliation, you're a living, breathing picture of the gospel. By the way, parents... This is absolutely why you do not need to pretend to be perfect in front of your kids because it hides the gospel from your kids and it makes following Jesus unattainable. Well, mom and dad are perfect. That's how they follow Jesus. You need to not hide that from them. Show them the gospel. Show them your desperate need for grace so that they know their desperate need for grace. Illustrate the gospel. So reconcile with others. And secondly, reconcile your actions. Examine yourself regularly. We normally only take an honest look at ourselves, maybe semi-annually. Maybe at a job interview, right? You have to take a look at yourself. Maybe, how many of you in here um, 
on January 1 is the only time you step on a scale, right? Anybody, right? We semi-annually take an honest look at ourselves, but examine yourself. You want to reconcile your actions to what the Lord is calling us to and confess regularly. James 5, 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The Lord didn't set me free from some major things in my life until I confessed them and sought out a brother. You want to reconcile your actions to what the Lord teaches you? Examine yourself and confess it. Have someone help you. So don't be afraid. Fear God. Don't feel common or out of place. You've been placed there. Don't think your education is what makes you useful to God. It's your simple obedience. Don't give up. Reconcile your actions. And fifth and final barrier, it's simple and it's crucial. We don't speak boldly because we don't ask for boldness. Peter and John speak boldly before the council. And what's the next thing they do in verse 29? They prayed. They prayed what? They prayed for more boldness. Now, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They prayed for more boldness. Why? Because the source of their boldness was not their status, right? It wasn't their education. It wasn't their their intellect. It wasn't even their actions. Their boldness was supernatural. Our boldness to speak in whatever context we're found in is in the Lord, not in us. It's in the Lord, not in us. 2 Corinthians 3 says that since this new way, and that's our hope in Jesus, gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. The source of our boldness is in Jesus, so ask for it. It's important that we seek the boldness in Christ and not in ourselves. Because if we're bold because of our status, if we're bold because of our education or our actions or wherever we came from, that's self-exaltation. It's not going to last. It's not Christ-exalting. And it's evil. It's idolatrous. So we need to seek our boldness in only who God is and only what he's done. So how can we overcome this barrier? It's very simple. Ask. Ask him. Ask him every day. Ask for yourself. Ask for others. It should be our daily focus. Paul was sitting in prison in in, in, uh, the book of Ephesians. He's sitting in prison and he asked for a prayer request. Do you know what his prayer request was? Pray also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What do you do when people ask you for prayer requests? My knee hurts. Uh, My aunt fell somewhere. I don't know, right? Like my dog's sick. Here's Paul's focus. Don't, don't loose the chains. That's whatever. That's not important, right? Don't, don't bring me more food. That's, I, that's not really that important. Don't, don't go get me legal counsel. I don't, whatever. Listen, here's what I need. Pray that I would speak boldly. We don't speak boldly because we don't ask for boldness. Pray for boldness. What's the result of asking? Look at verse 31. When they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. So who got it? They did. Who is they? All who asked. No matter the temperament, no matter the personality, you say, I'm not a bold person. No matter the temperament, no matter the personality, supernatural boldness is reserved for those who ask for it. Period. So ask. Ask. So don't be afraid. Fear God. Don't feel common or out of place. You've been placed there. Don't think your education makes you useful to God. It's your obedience. Don't give up. Reconcile your actions. And lastly, ask for boldness. My prayer is that the Lord today identified a barrier for you. I pray that you'd work on that this week. Take the tools the Lord's given you in this sermon here and and chip away at that barrier this week. I'd like to to just close with this story and then I'll pray for us and and we'll go. Um, I'd like to close with this story. 
Uh, Vietnam, of course, is run by a communist party, and their legal system is a little bit of a joke. And uh, in 2005, there's a pastor um, named Than Von uh, Truong uh, who wrote some, he's just a young pastor, who wrote some religious articles. Um, and uh, he also decided to send Bibles to the, uh, the political leaders um, with a note in it saying, this is a gift to you. Um, use it and seek the wisdom out inside of this book. And so they arrested him um, and under trials of, of they were, uh, the charges, they were enemy of the state. He was an enemy of the state. And while he was there, uh, they, they asked him to recant his belief in God. He said, I cannot. And so they said, well, then you're insane. So they put him in a mental institution. Now that might sound like, well, that's not so bad. But in Vietnam, because there's so much corruption, uh, most of the, the mass murderers and the really powerful gang bosses and all these things that are arrested, because of their connections um, in the government, they can be placed in these mental institutions, often making the mental institutions much more dangerous uh, than, than just a, a, a prison. And so he's in this prison, and um, he'd never, ever dealt with people like that. Never ever dealt with mass murderers. Have you? I haven't. Never ever dealt with major gang bosses. Have you? I haven't outside of video games, right? And so he'd never dealt with that, never been trained to do that. And then while in there, he's constantly being interviewed by doctors trying to see if he's, if he's sane, if he'll give up this belief in God. And so now he's got to contextualize the gospel um, in, within Marxism. Another thing he hasn't been trained in, he didn't take a class on it. There was no uh, uh, apologist class on on contextualizing the gospel within communism, right? And so he's having to argue uh, his belief in that. And he was locked up for a year. Completely uneducated, absolutely. Common, absolutely, right? Afraid, wouldn't you be in there with all those murderers, right? All of these barriers popping up, popping up, popping up. But he was faithful. And before he was released, there were 44 people in that facility who came to know Jesus through him. Prisoners and doctors. Through his just being obedient. He just spoke. Was he, would he be the one we choose to go into that middle institution? No, probably not. He wasn't trained. He wasn't prepared. But God expanded his, his sphere of influence and, and he just kept speaking. I've got doctors in front of me. All right, I'll speak. I don't know what I'll speak. I've got prisoners in front. Okay, I'll speak. And he just kept speaking. And he was just obedient. And he just said what he knew. And the Holy Spirit showed up. And 44 people were brought from death to life in a year's time through that. He just spoke. So church, speak. Wherever you are, wherever God's placed you, speak. And trust him. Because he'll be with you. And he'll speak through you. Let me uh, pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time we've had together um, to explore your word, to explore um, Acts chapter 4 and what you did through your church. Um, Lord, I, uh, all of these barriers I have felt at certain times. And Lord, this past week preparing for this sermon, um, Lord, you were using the tools of your word to start knocking some of these barriers down. But Lord, the thing I've realized is I quickly reconstruct them. I will quickly put them up because it keeps me from having to speak. It keeps me from having to be uncomfortable. So Lord, would you protect us from that comfort? Would you protect us from being a, from, from serving the fear of man, which only paralyzes and steals joy? And Lord, so identify those barriers in, in each one of their lives. 
and help them as you continue to help me to use the tools you've given us to break those barriers down so that we can speak. Just be obedient and speak. And Lord, would you do a powerful thing in our lives and in the people that you've placed in our lives by this simple obedience. Lord, give us boldness. Shake this building with your Holy Spirit falling on us, giving us the boldness to go and speak. Shake our lives. Shake our places of business. Shake us. And fill us with the Holy Spirit so we'll go out and we'll speak and you'll expand our sphere and we'll say, okay, I'm not in control of that. I'm just going to speak. I'll just be obedient. And Lord, bring many people from death to life. Many people for your fame, not for ours, for your fame and for your glory. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.